Hi there, welcome to episode 7 of MMI podcast, Mental Health During Crisis and Pandemics. Hope that you enjoy this episode. Also, do follow us on Facebook at Malaysian Medics International or our website malaysianmedics.org to know more of our interesting projects. Till then, take care. Hi and welcome back to MMI Mental Health Podcast, Social Media and Mental Health. I'm Gayatri and I hope you remember me from episode 4. So today I'll be co-hosting with another colleague, Vanisha. Hi Vanisha. Hi Gayatri, hope you're well. Yes, I'm well, thank you. And today we'll be diving into the topic of how existing mental health disorders are affected by the global COVID-19 pandemic. And for that, we have with us another expert speaker, clinical psychiatrist, Prof. Philip George. Welcome, Prof, and thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me, and I uh, hope you all are doing well. Yes, we're doing great. That's yeah, good. Yes, we're fine. It's great to have you here today, Prof. Could you briefly introduce yourself for our listeners? Yep, sure. Well, I'm Dr. Philip George. I did my MBBS in Manipal, India and qualified in 1987. And after that, I did my master's in psychiatry at University Kabangsan, Malaysia in 1996. Mm -hmm. And following that, I did a subspecialty training in addiction psychiatry. I'm currently the head of department for psychiatry in International Medical University. And I also have a private practice in the MIND faculty as well as Asunta Hospital. All right, that's great to hear. Thank you, Prof. And moving on, Prof, um, we're all well aware that the MCO and the pandemic as a whole can affect people mentally and even give rise to the development of new mental health disorders. We had also briefly touched on the subject of MCO effects on those who are suffering from mental health disorders in episode 1, Alone the Future Unknown. So Prof, maybe you can elaborate with some of your personal experiences with your patients to help us understand it better. Yeah, from my own experience, it has had a considerable effect on my patients. But there have been some positive and some not so positive effects. Maybe I can start with the positive ones. Mental health has actually not been headlined or highlighted as much as it is now, next to the medical effects of COVID-19, of course. I mean, more people are actually talking about their mental health and are normalizing it compared to the amount of stigma and prejudice that it encountered in the past. I think that's one important thing. The other thing that my patients actually now tell me is they feel they are no longer alone and that more people understand what, it, what it's actually like to feel anxious, fearful, or even depressed during the MCO. It is, however, causing more anxiety among those who already suffer anxiety disorders. And some of my patients who are actually in recovery and well, redeveloped symptoms and needed readjusting of their therapy and treatment. Of course, the MCO meant less interaction with others and social isolation, which typically increases symptoms of anxiety and depression has done that to some of my patients as well. More patients missed appointments and follow-ups due to the MCO and even the fear of coming out and some even ran out of medication. Because most psychiatric medications are not over-the-counter items at the pharmacy, it can then be quite inaccessible. Oh really? Oh, so then how do patients get their medications from? Do they maybe provide like a drive through facility or something like that? Yeah, some hospitals actually do provide that but they need to actually call in to the hospital or the clinic 
and get confirmation from their treating doctor for continuation of their treatment or medications some medications are only short term some are long term so all that needs to be confirmed by their treating doctor actually all right right yeah so i guess most of the time we always discuss the negative sides of the mco right mm. and we fail to look at the positive effects it has on all of us but living in the era of social media Social distancing and isolation means spending more time online and various social media platforms, right? So how and what role does social media exactly play in such situations? Well, I think it has a positive and a negative effect. And the positives are maybe being more accessible for some people. Therapists online and having psychological sessions online is actually becoming more common in Malaysia. Of course mm-hmm. there are issues like data protection and confidentiality issues that need to be protected in this process. There's also been a surge of information of mental health well-being during the pandemic and this has been made available through social media and of course has helped support people with a mental health issue or even in preventing a mental health issue. Of course the important thing is to identify authentic and real information which is important because sometimes there's fake news and social media although can provide us a lot of information it cannot vet through what's right and what's wrong and we need to be able to do that ourselves the other mm-hmm. important thing is that social media has also aided people to keep in touch with each other and that in a way helps reduce isolation to some extent but the bad thing is too much consumption especially of covid-19 news has also led to more anxiety and fear and the identifying of fake news sometimes is a bit of a challenge and so some people can be misinformed or ill influenced also overindulgence leads to neglecting people's own self help strategies that are important during the mco okay yeah prof i have to agree with you with that because i'd say our parents are actually the main culprits of spreading fake news <laughs> and i think we can all relate to that <laughs> you have no idea the amount of whatsapps like forwardings i get from my parents about this covid-19 news i'm like yeah. i'm in medical school i can tell you that that is not correct well, you're not alone you're not alone <laughs> right so moving on social media is highly and widely accessible for all but considering the cons that we have just discussed earlier how do we find the balance between the good and the bad of social media usage especially among those with pre-existing mental health disorder Yeah so you you mentioned the right word it's about a balance patients need to know that overuse can impact their recovery they need to learn ways to discern appropriate ways to distance themselves when they are already in a bad space i usually advise my patients to avoid engaging in social media at least 30 minutes or an hour before sleep they really have no control on what's being posted they may encounter negative news and information that will definitely influence their sleep pattern it is a better option to do some light reading or watch some entertaining show and it's also good to monitor and schedule social media use not just those with mental disorders but for everyone so that you are in control and not being controlled it's important to remember that social media can never be a real replacement for real world human connection human connection requires person contact and these things actually trigger how hormones endorphins that alleviate stress make you feel happier healthier and even more positive ironically for a technology that's designed to bring people closer together there are studies that suggest that spending too much time engaging in social media can actually make you feel more lonely and isolated and in fact 
worsen mental health problems like anxiety and depression. But in saying that, there are, however, some online tools that can be of benefit for patients. And I encourage my patients to sometimes download things like Headspace or Waking Up or Calm, which are meditation and mindfulness tools that people can rehearse and use regularly. They can also find online therapy, as I mentioned earlier, or even in sites that are AI managed, like Mood Gym or eCouch. And they can also, of course, learn relaxation techniques, yoga, and even find online crisis helplines as well. Mm-hmm, yeah. Actually, some of those online tools, especially Headspace, have been recommended to me as well. Mm. And yeah, I think they can really come into handy for us, especially medical students, for relaxation um, amidst stressing over exams and assignments. So, taking our next question from there, there are many types of mental health disorders that we have been exposed to in real life and also in medical school, namely depression and anxiety disorders. But who are most susceptible to falling prey to the unfortunate impacts of social media in regards to mental health? Is there an existing predisposing factor for mental illness? Well, yeah, when it comes to social media and the correlation with mental illness, there are studies that show that for less well-adjusted youth especially, constantly reading about what seems to be success of their Facebook friends can make them actually feel worse than in real life. You know, where in real life, their peers miss most probably are visibly failing from time to time, just like them. And then the, there are those with low self-esteem. Their overconsumption of social media can increase the risk of high of depression. In fact, a recent study found that more social media platforms that an adolescent uses, the more likely they are about, they're going to develop symptoms of depression and anxiety, regardless of the overall time spent on social media. And this eventually can lead to even more suicides as well. So, you know, in addition to these feelings of social isolation and depression, social media has also been found to be associated with self-image issues. You know, a study found that greater Instagram use is associated with greater self-objection and concern about body image. Eventually, excessive social media use can create a negative self-perpetuating cycle. It's like when you feel lonely, depressed, anxious or stressed, you use social media more often as a way to relieve the boredom or feel connected to others. But then using that social media more often increases the FOMO feeling, you know, fear of missing out and feelings of inadequacy or dissatisfaction Mm -hmm. and then isolation as well. And in turn, these feelings negatively affect your mood, worsen symptoms of depression, anxiety and stress. And these worsening symptoms can cause use social media even more, you know, and the downward spiral then just continues. Yeah, yeah. and I, th- I think we're all guilty also of using Instagram too much. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it does actually sound like a vicious cycle for them to be trapped in. Yes. Because the, the symptoms actually worsen with the increased use of social media. Mm. Yeah, and but having said that, um, during this time of the MCO, there may be an increased risk of poor and non-compliance in many patients as well due to the delayed treatment and appointments and so on. So, um, do you have any personal experience in that in your clinics? Could you share with us how did you handle the problem of non-compliance? 
Well, I think some of the patients who did communicate their fear and anxiety about coming for appointments managed to then discuss with my nurses and and the clinic staff and some even with me and we worked out a plan and a program identifying their current status and whether they needed any additional support uh, whether they could be on or online or additional medications and then getting them to actually come in to take medications or even getting medications delivered to their home so we had that service in the clinic for patients who were unable to get actually medications to have medications couriered or delivered to them and uh, so that helped them to continue with the uh, treatment and you know maintain their stability but there were some who just lost to follow up and i'm seeing some of them now with the cmco where they are more ready to come out and meet appointments and they're actually now getting into a heap with their symptoms of illnesses all coming back again yeah so i think the important thing is patients need to know that uh, continuity of treatment and care is important even in these trying times there are ways that can be managed if they contact the treating clinic or the doctor that is interesting and very helpful i just have a question for the prof like do you think yeah. that they stop taking their medications because like they're getting more depressed or something well i think it's a combination of things typically with the medications if people stop taking them some of the medications may cause what is known as a discontinuation syndrome so if they run out of medications and they don't take efforts to actually try and get refill then they may run the risk of having this discontinuation syndrome which can be sort of misidentified as a relapse of their illness but because they stopped this treatment all of a sudden it can actually create this sort of syndrome the other thing is some of them may be worried about uh, taking medications and then whether that's going to increase their risk of contracting covid-19 or because there's been so much information and some misinformation about what you do and how you can prevent the illness from spreading some people just stop taking it because of misinformation right yep so um prof i actually found this website online that provides similar services called the help talk and so patients just have to pay like a reasonable subscription fee yeah. and they'll be connected to a therapist yeah. and the therapist is accessible to them with um unlimited sessions provided mm. Okay. So now I must stress the importance and necessity of the MCO in breaking the chain of transmission of COVID-19. However, out of nowhere, the citizens of Malaysia are expected to follow a whole foreign set of rules as the new norm in their everyday life. Do you think that this gives rise to new mental health disorder? Yeah, actually the most common mental illnesses that are expected to be a result of this whole pandemic and the CMCO, the MCO are uh, things like adjustment disorder which is a syndrome typically in response to a stress event it's usually self-limiting but still may cause daily life distress and dysfunction the next most common is uh, generalized anxiety disorder which actually has been found to be most common among a population that were interviewed in china post epicenter pandemic status then depression and insomnia but also ptsd post traumatic stress disorder especially among people who have recovered from a serious covid infection or even healthcare professionals caught in the middle of managing the medical crisis some viral infections actually can cause a post infection fatigue and depression and we've actually seen this with the SARS epidemic in the past 
So this virus is very similar to the SARS virus. And so we may have to be on the lookout for this post-infection fatigue or depression. I've actually noticed in my practice, patients who recover from dengue, that this can be a common occurrence as well, this post-infection depression. Of course, the social influences of the pandemic, like financial crisis, domestic difficulties and abuse or violence, social isolation, especially in the elderly and even in the teenagers, all of that can also have a host of other mental health complications, especially an increase in suicide, depression and anxiety. Okay. So in that case, what would be the predisposing factors, like speaking from multiple aspects, that give rise to a problem that you've mentioned previously during this period of MCO especially? Yeah, so there are some unique predisposing factors. I think some of them include the fear of being infected and the ease of the spread, lack of conclusive treatment or preventive measures. I mean, we're not going to look at a vaccine for a long time. In fact, in a recent survey that we conducted in IMU, it was reported that doctors felt the ease of spread of this disease as the greatest cause of anxiety in themselves. The other is, of course, fear of infecting loved ones. And this is maybe particularly more among healthcare professionals. The effect of isolation and the effects of lockdown or even quarantine in people who flew back from overseas. The financial problems that are going to be encountered due to this whole lockdown as well. And those who are already predisposed may actually find it even more challenging, especially those with a family history or genetic increase risk or childhood trauma or other recent stresses as well. Those who are elderly and isolated actually have a higher risk as well. And then working in an environment where exposure is common, like healthcare and institutions and frontliners. Right. Yeah. So in the view of the predisposing factors, some might even consider other methods besides social media usage, of course, to cope with the MCO. Yeah. And they might even develop dependence syndrome. So Prof, could you elaborate on what dependence syndrome is and how does it come into play in this situation? Yeah. So dependence is actually an adaptive state that develops from repeated drug or alcohol use. That typically then results in tolerance where you need to increase the amount that you use to get the same effect. And then also withdrawals when stopping the substance. It's a compulsive out of control use despite you know the negative consequences that it may have. During the pandemic and due to the lockdown, some of my patients who are on treatment for drug dependence actually found it hard to obtain their drugs. And so some actually encounter withdrawals or they may resort to substitution with accessible substances like more tobacco or prescribed medications or even alcohol. Alcohol use can go really out of control and casual recreational drinking may change to become more regular heavy drinking. The access to detox and treatment may also be a challenge due to fears of entering a space that may put them at higher risk of contracting the virus. Uh, so in fact, uh, in my hospital, for a patient to be admitted for detox, they need to have 48 hours post COVID-19 RT-PCR test. And if that's negative, only then can they come in. So there'll be delay and there'll be other worries that occur as well during that period. Oh, okay. So dependent syndrome, it only applies to substance use, is it wrong? Not necessarily. I mean, dependence can be process dependence 
or behavioral dependence and then substance dependence so process and behavioral dependence largely can be things like over internet dependence or pornography or gambling so behaviors that may actually be out of control and also continued use activity that is actually causing dysfunction in their day-to-day life as well right right so being labeled as millennials we are also said to be dependent on our phones tablets and social media yeah so it has also been repeated multiple times to us by our parents especially the average time that we spend on social media can affect our minds to a great extent but can it also modify our physical and personality traits and maybe even change who we are to some extent actually there are a few effects that have been identified i mean social media is still something quite new in the community and research is still quite in its infancy mm-hmm. identifying effects of social media in the long term because most cute effects may be negligible but the long term effects are the ones that may have more serious consequences uh, one is that it can be addictive and there can be neglect then of personal life mental preoccupation the use as an escape mechanism sort of mood modifying experiences this tolerance and and concealing the addict- addictive behavior and even withdrawal when people stop excessive use of social media so it acts almost similar to even alcohol or a drug and then the other effect is it's actually been shown to be linked to depression in those especially who are predisposed to develop depression the more social media consumed in fact the more the risk another study actually found that social media use is linked to greater feelings of social isolation as i mentioned and of course we know there is a very close link between social isolation and depression mm-hmm. in social media we often compare ourselves with others as we scroll through our feeds and then make judgments about how we measure up and all this can affect our mental health so ideally in those who are already vulnerable it's best that social media use is actually self regulated in fact a study found that more friends on social media doesn't necessarily mean you have a better social life there actually seems to be a cap on the number of friends a person's brain can handle yeah? and it takes actual real social interaction not virtual to keep these friendships up other effects of course include sleep deprivation low self esteem you know and uh, poor academic or work performance because people are just so engrossed in the social media space and in the long run it can actually affect attention spans in individuals as well hmm. so prof i guess you could say moderation is key absolutely you're right yes. so from what you've said that's actually quite worrying and concerning to hear So how can we recognize if a person is suffering or being troubled by a mental disorder would they emanate any signs or symptoms that can be noticed by the people living with them or the people around them especially during this MCO Yep yep for sure trying to tell the difference between what and what is normal and what might be signs of mental illness sometimes is not always easy and there's no easy test that can let someone know if there is a mental illness or if actions or thoughts Mm-hmm. might be you know typical behaviors of a person or the result of of an illness but each illness has its own symptoms and there are some common signs of mental illness in young adults and adolescents that usually include things like excessive worrying or fear feeling excessively sad or low 
confused thing, problems concentrating and learning, and then affecting their memory as well. Extreme mood changes, which include uncontrollable highs or feelings of euphoria, and then feelings of low and down. Prolonged or strong feelings of irritability, anger, uh, avoiding friends, avoiding social activities, difficulties understanding or relating to other people. And then physical changes like changes in their sleep patterns, feeling tired and having low energy, or changes in their eating habits, uh, lack of appetite, or overeating because some people comfort eat as well. And of course, the most serious types are, you know, perception changes. So people developing delusions or hallucinations, and then the abuse of substances like alcohol or drugs. Sometimes as a self-medicating mechanism, and sometimes even multiple physical in- ailments without any obvious cause, like headaches, stomach aches, weight pains. Uh, in fact, I had a patient recently who presented with cough and feeling heatedness, and she had been to several doctors, did several tests for COVID-19 over several weeks, and all were negative. And she was convinced that she had COVID-19. But when I spoke to her, I identified symptoms of generalized anxiety, love, just that heatedness and the cough. And so she actually had generalized anxiety, which was exhibiting in physical symptoms. And some people eventually then go on to develop suicidal thoughts as well. I see. So, like, would the person affected be aware or like they have an insight to their condition, or is that specific to only certain disorders? Actually, there are two types of disorders that we commonly identify in psychiatry. We call them egosyntonic or egodystonic. So, egodystonic disorders is where people are distressed and uncomfortable by their illness symptoms, and they typically have insight or feel that there is something wrong with them. But in some people, that illness may have gone too far that they believe that it's perhaps their new themselves being the new them and then there's ego syntonic disorders like schizophrenia personality disorders where there can be poor insight and lack of understanding that this is an illness and also in substance use disorders most patients can be in denial and downplay their substance use or effects and not really reach the stage of okay this is a problem i need to get it treated and get to determination and action about managing their problem. All right, right. So just to recap, um, ego dystonic is when patients have an insight of their problems and they actually try to rectify it unless it's too severe. But on the contrary, um, ego syntonic patients lack that insight. Yes, that right? that's right. Yep. But the only worry is even with ego dystonic disorders, sometimes in our community, especially in developing countries like ours, it can be wrought with taboo, prejudice, and stigma to seek the appropriate help. And sometimes they seek help perhaps in the wrong places. So I think the important thing is to be able to communicate, to talk, to rid stigma from psychiatric services and then make it more accessible to these people. Right. And just another question, Prof. When patients present with the symptoms right, of mental health disorders, does it affect people around them? Absolutely. It will definitely have impact and effect on others as well. A mental disorder or illness doesn't occur 
in solitary is, is not a solitary thing it has impact on day-to-day life meaning social and occupational functioning so it will impact on work and colleagues it will impact on family and friends mm. as well and i think it's important to note in the long run it has a huge impact on communities because we have close to about 20% of a population with mental health problems and can be huge to communities as well right, so right. would you think it's contagious bro no uh, it's, it's <laughs> not contagious otherwise i would have been ill a long time ago <laughs> so yeah it's not like the covid-19 it doesn't spread from one person to the other Although there are some unique illnesses like folly ado or folly atro where there can be shared delusions so if a person is in close contact with another typically siblings they live together they share things together very close if one develops a delusion the other might actually also start to think the same way but it's not an illness for the other because you separate the two and the other gets better the one with the delusion is still persisting with their delusional thinking i'm sure you would have heard of epidemic hysterias that happen in hostel and groups of students are kept together young people and yeah. it's a lot of stress then there can be a hysterical reaction by one very predisposed individual a vulnerable person and that can spread among the others that those are the only types of spreading but then they don't really develop illnesses is just spreading of the crisis at that moment. Right. Okay. So, prof, one last question. Do you have yep. any advice or messages to our listeners, especially for those who are addicted to the internet during this MCO? Yeah, so actually I think this is these are challenging times and each time you go on to social media or switch on the TV, there's another update or announcement on the COVID-19 or the CMCO. And on top of that your daily routine has been turned completely upside down with the fear of contracting the disease with the movement control by isolating ourselves and social distancing there can be a toll on our mental health and the uncertainty will definitely put pressure on our emotions and resilience it's normal to feel afraid and worried in the face of all of this but we need to look after our mental health and well-being during this time In fact, I advise a lot of my patients that well you'll notice you have a lot more time on your hands because working from home or if you're not asked to come back to work just yet, this is a good time to invest in your mental health. Worrying will not help the situation. Instead, spend the time and energy on the things that matter to you like your family, your schedules, observing proper hygiene to keep everyone safe. Work on evidence measures to reduce stress and anxiety. like exercise meditation mindfulness relaxation techniques and you know all this actually can be sought from internet and from social media sites as well get on to a site that is legit and authentic and find new ways to manage your stress and anxiety build your mental health resilience if all this this has been tried and it's still overwhelming then do seek professional help There are doctors who actually run clinics still during this period with safety measures and there are online therapy sessions that can be accessed as well. Yeah, I don't know if working from home is stressful for the rest but yeah. um studying from home is stressful for me. So <laughs> I think I'm definitely going to need all those um methods. So yeah. thank you so much prof. 
Thank you for shining light onto many of those burning questions we've had. Just to refresh, we've delved into many interesting points in the context of social media and mental health. And as Prof and all of us have emphasized, balance is the sole key to maintaining wellness of the mind, especially with the use of social media. And the initiative has to especially be taken by us individually. And the support can come from the members of our close circle and medical professionals. So at times like this, we should definitely lend a shoulder for our loved ones to lean on and to encourage and to look out for each other to ensure that we're not engulfed by the diverse mental disorders that we've discussed that's currently swarming the globe. Great. Thank you, Prof, for taking time to chat with us. This episode marks the end of our Mental Health Podcast series. We hope you have been religiously tuning in each week to our podcast. If you would like to listen to any of the other Mental Health Podcast episodes, you can do so on Spotify, iTunes, and our MMI website. Don't forget to drop any feedback and comments on our Facebook page, Malaysian Medics International. Goodbye and have a great day. Bye. Bye. Bye.